Holy Spirit, pray that you would come and help us to hear your word spoken to us through scripture so that we can be changed by it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to think of somebody that you are mad at right now. I know that's not a very happy way to start a sermon, but just go with me on this. And, you know, knowing how some Sunday mornings go to think of someone that you're angry with might be easy for some of you. They're sitting next to you, right? (laughs) Who are you not reconciled with? Is it a parent, a child, a friend, ex-spouse, a neighbor, co-worker? Or maybe you're not mad at them, maybe you are just indifferent to them, which can be just as destructive, since the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Or if you can't think of anyone that you're mad at right now, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal someone that you are not reconciled with as I preach this sermon, because some, if you have the guts, because sometimes we can kind of bury that and suppress it. And if you really can't think of anyone that you're mad at right now, well, don't worry, you will be soon. So... We all have unreconciled relationships in our lives. I have a friend who's a pastor, and after preaching one Sunday, he went out to the parking lot to see a woman back her car into his. And he ran over, and and she recognized him, and she said, oh, man, out of all the cars, I had to hit the pastors, right? And then they got in this giant argument, and it just escalated and got pretty heated until my friend remembered, wait a minute, I'm the pastor, You know, and arguing, yelling at a parishioner in the parking lot, it is at bare minimum bad marketing, right? In big ways, in small ways, we have unforgiveness in our lives somewhere. Where's yours? Because one of the things I've noticed through all the counseling I've done over all these years is that one of the biggest reasons we do not experience the joy that Jesus came to give us is because of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness kills joy. I've talked to so many people who hang on to anger and resentment for sometimes decades, and the result is they become angry, resentful people. As I've said many times, holding a grudge is like taking poison, hoping that your enemy will die. It eats us up inside. But the good news is Jesus came to change, to set us free, and to transform unforgiveness into joy, and that's what I want to talk about today. We're doing a sermon series on how the miracles of Jesus foreshadow, give us a preview of what the kingdom of God is all about. And the kingdom of God is basically Jesus resetting this world to rights. It's Jesus bringing justice to the poor, giving us intimacy with God, healing our bodies, all of which happens permanently when he returns. But sometimes uh, he gives us a preview of that by doing a miracle, and it kind of gives us a preview of what the kingdom of God is. And today's scriptures, where Jesus chooses his apostles, and then the other one in Ephesians, where the apostle Paul says he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility, we see another feature of the kingdom of God. Is it about reconciliation? The kingdom of God is Jesus reconciling people who are at odds with each other. Now you may say, wait, if this is a series on how the miracles foreshadow the kingdom of God, where's the miracles in these stories? There's no miracles choosing the disciples. I have been a pastor for 10 years. Let me tell you, reconciliation is a miracle. When I see a husband and wife reconcile, or when I've been in Rwanda and seen victims of genocide forgiving the person that killed their children, it is as big a miracle as parting the Red Sea because it can be harder to change the human heart than the flow of the ocean. Reconciliation is a miracle. You can see that in the story of Jesus choosing his disciples. He chose 
One of the disciples he chose was Simon the Zealot. Zealots were leftist extremists committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman government. And as a zealot, the only people, person that people would, Matthew would have hated more than Romans would have been tax collectors who collaborated with the Romans to make huge profits that left their fellow Jews destitute. So what does Jesus do? He says, Simon, you're a, a zealot who hates Romans and who hates tax collectors. I'll take you. And Matthew, you're a tax collector. I'll take you too. Here, why don't you room with Simon? <laughs> this is Bible study from hell. It is like putting Palestinian terrorists and Israelis in the same small group. And yet they became a community. They were reconciled. That is a miracle, a changed human heart. As the passage we read today says, the kingdom of God means that Jesus has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And what that text refers to is the fact that in the first century, Jews and Gentiles started call, who had hated each other for centuries started calling each other brother and sister in Christ because Jesus tore down the wall that separated them. And he does that in our relationships with each other, and he does it on a macro level between different races and, and social classes. I recently read an article by an African-American pastor who was asked by a white acquaintance to go to lunch. And at the lunch, the white acquaintance tearfully confessed that he had harbored a lot of prejudice and asked, how can I get free of the guilt of that? Afri African-American pastor said, do you like baseball? And the, the man said, yes, kind of wondering where it was going. And then the pastor said, well, do you like barbecue? And this white man said, well, yes, I do. And the African-American pastor said, well, then come over next weekend with your wife to my house and we'll barbecue and watch the game and we'll get to know each other. The pastor never heard from that white man again. The pastor was part of the kingdom of God by reaching out to tear down the, the, the walls that divide races. Just the white acquaintance didn't, didn't, didn't cooperate. Where is there a dividing wall of hostility in your life? Either on a macro level or more personally. Is it in your marriage with a coworker, a neighbor, a parent, a child? The kingdom of God is Jesus tearing down that wall to set us free from bitterness so that we can experience his joy. Because you see, we were designed to have relationship with each other. That's what we were created for. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. That's what gives us joy. The Christian writer Charles, Charles Swindoll says that's why the neighborhood bar is so popular. He says it's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace, but it's also unshockable. You can tell people secrets and be known. The bar flourishes, he says, not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so a lot of people seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. We were designed for community. But a lot of stuff gets in the way of relating to each other, doesn't it? A lot of stuff. We get fearful of each other. We get suspicious of each other. Or sometimes we just plain don't like each other. Right? We just get on each other's nerves, even in church. Maybe sometimes especially in the church. Right? A pastor I know says, oh, to dwell above with saints we love, that would be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> right? We bug each other. And the other thing that gets in the way of relationships are the wounds that we give each other, either perceived wounds or real wounds. Let me take those one at a time. Perceived wounds, where we assume someone has hurt us when they haven't. Ever had that happen? Where, where someone assumes something about you and then gets mad at you for something you never said, did, or thought? I have a friend who was a young adults pastor at a church, and one day he was talking to a mother whose 20-something son had stopped going to church. 
And my friend said, well, would you like me to give your son a call and invite him to get involved in our young adult ministry? Well, right as he said that, though, two guys in their 20s who go to that ministry came up to him. And, and so my friend said, hey, these guys are your son's age. Better than me, how about we have them call your son and invite them to church? Well, the next day, my friend got a white-hot email from this mother who was angry at him because she interpreted his actions as trying to pass the buck and get out of helping her son. And the title of the email was, As If You Even Cared. Right? I mean, and it was all about how he, how he had hurt her because he didn't care about her problems when all along he was trying to help her. Right? She misinterpreted his actions. She made an assumption. Right? <laughs> I'm going to get emails, aren't I? Anyone, you ever do that? You just make an assumption and then people get mad at you for something you never did? That's a perceived wound. But then there are the real wounds that many of you have received from parents or spouses or friends, and those hurt. They've done soul damage to you, and those can be hard to forget. So how do we do it? How do we reconcile? First thing, start by asking Jesus to overwhelm you with his love for you. The reason Jews and Gentiles, zealots and tax collectors, were able to love one another because they first experienced Jesus' love for them. A man I know was praying for someone who had gossiped about him, about things that weren't true. And he was praying, Jesus, help me forgive this person. And as he prayed, he felt this sense of Jesus' presence right there. And, he, and, and it got stronger and stronger. And he felt actually Jesus had his hand on his shoulder. And he felt deeply loved. And as he was feeling this, he said out loud, I get it. This man that gossiped about me, he just doesn't know how much you love him, Jesus. If he felt what I feel right now, he wouldn't have ever gossiped about me. And it's my job to show him your love. You see, it is hard to be mad at someone when you experience the overwhelming love Jesus has for you. It kind of kills the anger. The text we read today says that it is Jesus that tears down the dividing wall of hostility. We don't do it. And the way Jesus does that is through his love, so ask to experience it. And then there are some practical steps we can take to reconcile. So this just gets very practical. And I'm going to give you an acronym, and I've given it to you before to help you remember the steps to reconciliation. And I know that I've given this before and that ever since, all of us have practiced reconciliation perfectly in every relationship, right? I know you've all done that, as have I, and we don't really need to hear this again, but just in case there's a visitor, let me repeat it. <laughs> to bridge the gap between you and someone else, remember the acronym GAPS. First, go to the person with whom you have the conflict. To whom do you go? The person with whom you have the conflict. Because sometimes when we're mad at person A, we go to person B, C, D, L, M, N, O, P, E, F, right? Uh, instead. Go to the person with whom you have the conflict. Who goes? You go. Why? Jesus said so for your own good to get rid of that toxic unforgiveness. But shouldn't they go first? No, you go. But what about you go? What if they, you go? You don't understand? Yes, I do. You go. You go, 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 go. Right? Jesus says it's so important that if you remember someone you're mad at in worship, get up and leave. I don't want you to do that. But I just said I don't want you to do what Jesus said. You, I've got myself into a place I cannot get out of. I'm just going to back away. Go. Second, admit your part in the conflict. Here is a 100% proven formula for reconciliation. It works every single time. I don't care how bad the conflict is. When each person says to the other, I have sinned against you, and then they state what they've done, 
And you can't pull punches on this one. You can't gussy it up. You can't make it sound trivial, you know. You can't say something like, I didn't yell at you, I was simply passionate. You know, no. Or, I'm sorry, you're so easily offended. You know, no. <laughs> right? That doesn't work. I lied about you. I bullied you. I treated you as an object. I damaged your soul. Whenever both sides truly admit the raw, awful sin they have done to each other, usually after that, forgiveness takes about 30 seconds. Now, get into the place, right? Get into the place where you can admit your sin. That's the hard part, isn't it, because of our pride. But it shouldn't be, I mean, because it's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious that we are all messed up sinners. We're all in the same boat together, right? I heard a phrase recently that described what a sinless life would look like, and it kind of makes it clear that we're not there. It said, to be sinless would mean that you lived in a way that you wouldn't mind selling the family parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> kind of puts it in perspective, right? Most of us would hesitate at least a little bit to sell the family parrot. That's why the passage in Ephesians says, it is by grace that you have been saved. It's a gift from God and not from yourselves so that no one can boast. An interesting way to start a passage about reconciliation, don't you think? What it's saying is that reconciliation begins when we all admit that we need forgiving. And in most cases, we've done something that has contributed to the conflict. There's some rare exceptions, but 98% of the time, we've done something. Go, admit, next, pray for yourself, but more importantly, pray that God bless that person that you're mad at. And really pray, you know, don't just say, oh, Lord, bless their soul. You know, really pray. Say, God, I want you to rain good things down on that person. And get specific. God, give them joy. Give them great friends. Give them a sense of closeness with you. Bless them, Lord, with every good gift that you have to give. Because it is hard to stay mad at someone when you are asking God's best for them. Go, admit, pray, and then last, stay. Stick it out. It can take time. And for deep wounds, it can take years to forgive. Years. Go, admit, pray, stay. Those are the practical steps that bridge the gaps between us and other people. And really, you should, as I've said this before, you should start with prayer, but then the acronym would have been PGAS, and that just doesn't work at all. So, you know, but pray at every single stage of this deal. Now, it needs to be said, reconciliation does not mean you put yourself in a position to be abused over and over again. Especially if you are being physically abused, you need to get out of that relationship. Sometimes what reconciliation is, is it's saying, I forgive you, and letting go of the anger in your heart, but also saying, but I need to keep my distance so that we can stop hurting each other. And I know that reconciliation can be very hard because there's something in us that wants there to be some kind of retribution, some kind of justice. But the original word forgiveness means to give away. We give the justice part over to God. He will deal with that person in some appropriate way. And if their behavior is really sinful, well, that has a way of catching up with folks over time anyway. There's a woman named Mira Johnson who tells a story of being at a Bible study focused on the Ten Commandments. And she was feeling pretty smug about not lying, murdering, stealing, that sort of thing. But when it got to the commandment, honor your mother and father, in her words, she said, against my will, I thought of my mother who died ten years earlier. Honor her. When I felt more relief than sorrow at her death, the tears I cried at her funeral were those of an adult daughter who had never heard the words I most needed from her. I'm proud of you. See, Mira's father had died when she was young, and her mother suffered from a depression and medical, a lot of medical conditions, but she refused to go to a doctor to get help. 
So as a result, Mira's mother just pretty much ignored her. Mira got straight A's, won all kinds of awards, but her mother just didn't pay any attention. Did not even go to Mira's graduation, and her excuse was, I didn't feel up to it. When Mira got married, her mother openly resented her husband, would, would unfavorably uh, compare Mira to other people in the family, criticize the way Mira ran the house, raised the kids, everything. Well, after that night in the Bible study, Mira said, I had to come face to face with my hardened heart. She said, to harbor contempt and anger, I knew firsthand punishes the victim far more than it punishes the villain. But how was I to honor and love a parent who'd caused me so much pain? She said, I began by admitting I needed God's help not only to forgive, but also to confess my own selfishness and my own lack of compassion. I acknowledged with gratitude that my mother gave me life and nurtured me the best she was able. I took into account the factors that had shaped her life, especially her own dysfunctional parents. Every generation carries its own baggage into parenthood. Had I not done the same with my own children? When I succumbed to bouts of anger, resentment, depression, my family suffered I was not sinless. The next step was to let my mother back into my life emotionally because I couldn't do it physically. So I climbed the attic stairs to retrieve her portrait and stared at it for a long time. I'm sorry, I said to my mom. I have not honored you. I've pushed you from my thoughts. I forgive you and I pray you also have forgiven me for turning away from you. I want your memory now to be part of my life. And then she said, an incredible peace filled me as God enabled me to do what I could not do on my own, remember my mother with love. I saw her as God created her to be and was able to forgive and in a small way forget the hurts that had passed between us. Then an even more amazing thing happened. The bitter condemning frown I'd always seen in my mother's picture now appeared as a serene smile. And in her eyes I saw the approval for which I'd always yearned. Did the picture change? course not. Nor were the past hurts wiped out. What changed was my perception of the past, which in turn has positively affected my present and my future. In forgiving and honoring her, I'm breaking the chains of bitterness from my life. Mira followed the gaps principle. She went to her mother the best way she could. She admitted where she had sinned against her mother. She prayed and she stuck with the process until it was complete. And the result was freedom from bitterness and for her an experience of joy. Forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. Forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. And when we do it, we have joy. So where are those walls of hostility in your life? Will you go to that person? Admit your part in the conflict, pray for that person, and stay to work it out. But most of all, will you go to Jesus and will you say to Jesus, Jesus, tear down this wall. Overwhelm me with your love so I can love someone else, and then you will experience the kingdom of God. This is not something we can do on our own. It's impossible. But with Jesus, we can do it. What reconciled Jews and Gentiles was that they were focused not on their own personal stuff, but they were focused on Jesus, who they knew had paid the penalty for every sin they'd done and every sin that had been done to them so they could forgive. And when they focused on him, they became one. I visited a church in Washington, D.C. a while back and heard an elderly woman speak there who'd been raised in the Old South. And she was a passionate Christian and a devout Democrat. She loved Jesus more than being a Democrat, but, but only just a little and she told us a story about how years ago when she was working in the inner city with the poor, she was invited to a prayer meeting with Senator Mark Hatfield, who was a Republican. And her friend said, you can't go. He's a Republican. You're a Democrat. But she went anyway. 
And during the prayer meeting, she heard Senator Hatfield pray. And he prayed so authentically that she said, I realized he loved the same Lord that I loved. And then after the meeting, Senator Hatfield greeted her, and when he heard her southern accent, he took her hand and he kissed it, just like gentlemen in the Old South used to do. And she said, my southern heart just melted. (laughs) And then she said, I looked into his eyes, and I noticed for the first time how handsome he was. And I thought to myself, oh, who cares how you vote? And then she broke off her story and she looked at us and she said, and that, my friends, is the problem with prayer meetings. (laughs) And that would be the problem with prayer meetings. Because when we focus on Jesus instead of ourselves, when we see that we are sinners in need of his forgiveness, when we experience his love, then the walls of hostility come tumbling down. So to whom do you need to be reconciled? And will you ask Jesus to tear down that wall? Because surely the power of the cross that can reconcile a Democrat to a Republican, the power of the cross that reconciled Jews and Gentiles, the power of the cross that even today is reconciling Rwandan victims of genocide with with their killers and estranged children with their parents and husbands and wives, surely that power can also reconcile us to each other so that we can see the face of God and know the freedom and joy that he came to give us. So go. Be reconciled today. Jesus, we cannot do this without your help. So would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit and more importantly, your love, so that we can give it away to others. In your name, Jesus. Amen.